We are in week number two of a sermon series that we call Doing It Right. And we're going through the Old Testament book, Song of Solomon. If you're not a Bible person, it's a book designed, it's a conversation between a man and a woman. And I told you last week, of course, her friends are, are involved in the conversation. Basically, starting from meeting to dating to engagement to marriage to, to the, what happens after the marriage. And so no matter what season you are in life, this sermon series is going to be at some point going to be applicable to you. And so uh, last week I, I shared, I said, listen, let's start with understanding what you should be looking for in someone. And, and I think when, when I mentioned those things, you see, for me, when I mentioned the things that I mentioned, I feel like I was just mentioning like, like common things, but I forgot, I tend to forget that the bar is set pretty low in our world. And so, you know, I said things like honesty and has a job, the guy should have a job and, 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 and responsible and not a liar, and, and love Jesus. And, and I think for some people, and I even had interactions with a few people this week, some single girls, they were like, if I do that, I'll never find anybody. <laughs> and I just want to encourage you for a second with this thought. Uh, I took my kids to Taco Bell this week for the very first time. My wife was not with us. She went out and did a couple things, and so we were driving home, uh, and the options were, you know, when we get home, we're going to have peanut butter and jelly or something like that, ramen noodles, something like that. We were driving by, I said, you guys want to go to Taco Bell? Now, they've only seen commercials of Taco Bell. They've never eaten Taco Bell. They don't know that when you eat Taco Bell, you know, it's followed by a bunch of regret a few hours later. And so <laughs> I said, let's eat Taco Bell. I said, this will be fun in a couple hours. And they said, why? I said, you'll see, right? Like, you'll, you'll see. So we go into Taco Bell, and literally, we get the food. We get some tacos, a chalupa. We get, they have all sorts of specialty drinks there. And we're eating. And my kids, listen, we're from Oklahoma, so Tex-Mex is real. It's like legit down there. They have had real, like, good Mexican Spanish food. It's, it's kind of obsolete up here. Like, it, there's a couple places here and there. It's hit or miss. You would have thought I was feeding them the Taj Mahal of Mexican food. Like, they were, like, ranting and raving about this Taco Bell. Like, this is amazing. This is so good. This is the best thing I ever had. And so we got home a few hours later. You know, it kicked in. We were having some good entertainment. Their mom came home. I said, we ate Taco Bell. So now we made it around front for the border, right? Like, we made, we made it around. And she was like, why? I was like, I don't know. It was good. Your kids think it was the best thing ever. And she was like, it's fake, though. It's not real Mexican food. I was like, well, they think it is. And I started thinking to myself, I could do that if you wanted me to. I could give you a little Taco Bell sermon series, right? But, but I want you to really experience the authentic Mexican dish that God has for you. Like, I want you to actually understand. If you do it right, God is faithful. And next week, we're gonna, we, we kind of we jumped ahead. Next week, we're going to take a look at, because some of you are going, how am I going to find that person out there? And the message next week is going to be really simple because the young woman, she's marrying the king of, of Israel and Judah. Like she's marrying th this guy. And some of you wonder, how do you meet a king like that? Because she wasn't a princess. In, in, in fact, she was just a normal, ordinary farm girl. We see that. So I want to teach you how to not find the right, by, right person, but be, to become the right person. Because sometimes in order to find the right person, first you need to become the right person. When you become the right person, you will be attracted to and attract the right people. And so we're going to kind of stop next week and we're gonna, I'm going to introduce you to that topic because I don't want you to leave this place frustrated. There is good guys somewhere out there over the rainbow for you, right? Like there's some, some of you are sitting by a good godly guy and you understand. And here's what's so important about this. Marriage is wonderful. It's a beautiful gift, right? With the right person, it has the potential to bring us as close to heaven as you can come on this side of eternity. But with the wrong person, it can take you as close to hell. 
And so I'm not going to give you the Taco Bell version of the Bible, the Bible because I know that it's going to be difficult. I want to set the bar of expectations high. So today, the title of the message is really simple. You found the person that you want to marry. So I want to talk to you about the season between when you find them and when you actually get married. If you found, find them, you should be pursuing that altar right now. So the title message is Growing to the Altar. And I want to tell you, I want to speak from experience to you today. Because I did things pretty wrong when, when I got married 15 years ago. I dated Leah for almost three and a half years before we got married. I was at Bible college. And so at Bible college, the, the world and normalcy is, goes out the door, right? So what happens is you date somebody for three months and you get married. That's what, that's what happens. If you don't have, some of y'all went to Bible college, you know, you know how to, some of y'all are like 31, you're like, I'm going to sign up for Valley Forge and I'm going to go to Bible college because I can find a wife there, a husband. And so... I found Leah my second year, you know, she, she, we, we, we dated, we, we quickly, I quickly fell in love with her, we dated for one semester, she visited in the summer, you know, I still liked her, she still liked me, and so the next semester we went back to school, and, and, and I realized I wanted to marry her, we've been dating for less than a year, I still had two years of college, didn't really have a job, but I wanted to marry her, and everybody else was getting engaged, so I just thought, man, I'll get engaged too. So I saved up some money. I went and bought a, a, a ring at, at one of the stores in the mall. And so I got this, this ring. And you would have thought that, that me be about to be engaged, that I would have taken my time on this side. But I have the type of personality. I don't know if you have this. If I want to do something, I want to do it like right then. Like if I get somebody a present, I'll be like, I, I got you a present. <laughs> right? <laughs> like I just can't help. I, even to today, I'll be like, I got you something. I want to give it to you right now, right? And so it's a problem. And so I got this engagement ring. My, my cousin John, who works at this church, he can, he, can, he can vouch for me. I got this ring. We went and picked it up. We came back. And I, got, I literally walked back onto the campus. I'm like, I'm going to get engaged right now. <laughs> right, like right this minute. Like right now. So I ran into him. I put on my, 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 my only black suit that I had. I put on my tie. Did my hair. And ran and met my wife during class at college. Let me, let me explain to you what class it was. It wasn't just any class. It was gym class, right? I'm smooth, y'all. So I go running into this class, and she, we've talked about getting engaged, all this stuff coming up. Like, you know, it, she, she was with me when we looked at rings. It wasn't like an utter shock, but the timing was all, like I walk in, sweat is coming down from her body. All the other girls are sweating in this class, and I come walking in, and I, before she can even see it, I'm on one, one leg like this, and I just look at her. I say, will you marry me? And I think she said yes so that I would leave, right? So she said yes, to make a long story short. I looked at her, I said, okay, when you're done this class, we'll go to Applebee's. Like two for 20 for you, baby. Like this, this is a true story. Like if you are thinking about getting engaged, all you need to do is jot this down and go, I got nowhere to go but up from his story, right? So we get engaged and, 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 and stuff starts to go, go wrong. Like, like I didn't have a, a real job. I stopped paying my one bill that I was responsible for. It was $140 a month car payment for a Volkswagen Jetta, 1994, right? I started skipping class all the time. I started spending all my money on gifts for her. I stopped going to class to the point where I took four classes one semester. Actually, I took five, and I dropped out of two. I got nine credits full-time. Two of them were C's, and one of them was a D. It was just like... Like, I just wanted to get married. I was completely unprepared. One of the best things we did in that moment is for my wife to go, you're not ready to get married. And it was like, you think, right? 
like ding, 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 and we stepped back. She actually took the ring off of her finger. I remember it. We were on the way home from Oklahoma, driving back to school. She took off the finger. I'm bald, <laughs> right, crying in my car. How could you say, no, this is the worst day of my life? But it was actually the best day. Because had we actually got married in the time frame that we thought we were going to get married, I believe we probably would be divorced right now. So I can speak from you from experience that, that in this season, there's nothing wrong with knowing. I think it's great when you know the person that you want to marry, but don't miss your chance to keep growing. In, in, in other words, here's what I found. We're experts at throwing a wedding, but we are failures at thriving marriages, right? Like the average wedding in America is $25,000 as if an expensive, memorable wedding is an indication of a successful marriage. If you spend a lot of money, if you get your nails done, if you, if you, you go out and have good parties before, if you have this, I'm not dogging immaculate weddings, I've been to a bunch, done them. If you do all those things, then this will be a great indication of a future marriage. And, other, and what I think is perhaps it's time to rethink our perception of weddings. And shift the focus from preparations of a spectacular wedding day to preparations for a spectacular lifetime together. There's nothing wrong with knowing. But don't miss your chance in this season to grow. So I want to take you back into this story. You remember last week, they were kind of talking about all the good things about one another. She was sharing her insecurities. He was, he, he was, he was listening and attentive to her, fun to be around. The Bible says they're running around in the woods, carving their name. I add that part in, but carving their initials in, in the tree. And they're, like, they have like that young love. You remember that? And so I want to show you how it keeps going in, in chapter 2, uh, verse number 1. She says this. She says, I'm a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. What, what she's saying is, I'm just an ordinary girl. Right? I'm just a girl living in... Right? Number two says, like, like a filly. He, like, a, like a filly. Like a lily, verse number two, among thorns is my darling among the young women. She says, he says, you're just not a rose. You're the rose. You're not one of them. Every other girl's like thorns, baby. You're a flower to me. He says, you're one in a million. And watch how crazy it drives her in verse number three. She says, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall and his banner over me be loved. She says, I am ready to marry you. I'm ready to be led into the king's banquet hall and your banner over me is actually going to read love. She says, strengthen me with raisins and refresh me with apples, for I'm going to faint because I'm so in love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. She's dreaming of doing something with him. They ain't doing it yet, but she's dreaming about it because they're not married yet. She's excited. And then she says this in verse number 7, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And so she says this one line. And then she goes back in, and she's having a dream actually right here. She says, Listen, my beloved, look, here he comes leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills, right? I don't know what he's doing, but she's excited about it, right? My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind the wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. He's praying peekaboo with me. I'm really excited. My beloved spoke and said to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. So they are in a, a quite a spectacular season right here. 
This season that they're in, we know it is what I would call the season of perfection. You remember this one? When I, when I was dating my wife, there's how the season of perfection uh, looked. When we would call on, on the phones, we didn't even have cell phones yet, landline phones. You would hang out with your girlfriend or your boyfriend all day long, and you would go, you know, do stuff and come back to the dorm. And at my college, we had a curfew, right? So by 11 o'clock, you'd be back in, and the first thing you would do is you'd walk in your room, you'd pick up the phone, you'd dial her number, and you'd just sit there, and you'd just listen to each other breathe. <sighs> Y'all remember this? And then and you'd be like, you, you ready to go? You hang up. No, we'll just fall asleep like this. And you just put it by your head, and you just... <sighs> remember that? It was in this season where my wife, I, I used to wear Curve, the original Curve, right? Don't, let, don't hate on Curve, right? I used to wear Curve, and I had this one jacket, had fur on the jacket, and I gave it to her one day. I said, did you like my jacket? Are you cold? And she took my jacket, and she would snuggle in it at nighttime, and she would tell me, it smells just like you, right? Remember that season? You're like, uh-huh, right? I'm a gazelle, right? It was that season. It was in this season that you were dating the guy, and it didn't matter how bad he was driving, you weren't complaining. No matter how many wrong turns he took, you were so infatuated with his face that you were just like, <laughs> we're going to be an hour late because he can't drive, but that's okay. You know, when you're married, you're like, you're an idiot, right? Listen to me. I'm a girl. That's why Siri sounds like a girl, because girls know where they're going better than men. Getting bossed around by everybody in my car. But when in a season of perfection, everything is just, it's just a-okay, right? It's in this season where you first held hands, you remember? Not just the, the whole, the, the interlocking fingers, remember that? And you held their hand, and you're like, yes, right? That's all, like you just held, like it was just, it's in this season that, that this girl is in. And here's the problem in this season. Here's what happens in this season. It's good, but it's dangerous. It's good, but it's dangerous. It's in this season, if you're not careful, that you'll begin to say things to that person that you're not ready to, to, to actually, actually be. You'll begin to take your relationship to a physical spot that, that it was never meant to be. You'll put pressure on the relationship that, that won't allow it to actually, actually last. It's a good season but it's a dangerous season. That's why they call it falling into love. You ever trip? It takes no effort. In fact, most of you would try to take it back or downplay it, right? There's been times I've come up on the stage and I've actually fallen when I've walked up or my, or my fly's been down or something like that. It takes no effort to make a fool of yourself. It takes almost no effort for infatuation. You're breathing, I'm breathing, cool. And she says in this moment, don't miss this, She's, she's, she's loving him. She wants to banner over me to be loved. She's ready to marry him. She's having dreams about him. But in verse 7, she says something really important. And she's talking to the girls, but this is applicable to the guys. She says, daughters of Jerusalem, watch this. I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. I know how you feel right now. I know how excited you are. I, I, I know how passionate you are. But be careful. Be careful with this season. Be careful with the things that you say. Be careful with your expectations of what this is. Because here's what happened. If you're not careful, you'll begin to believe that your current feelings will be enough fuel for your future together. You'll think this is the way that it will always feel. And if it doesn't always feel like this, then something must be wrong with that person. 
And then you get married, and what happens? They can't drive. They're snoring. They're not putting the toothpaste back where you want it. All of a sudden, they're not perfect, and you're going, wait, that was the fuel that I needed to keep going, and then it dries out, and what happens? Your, your marriage, it, it, it stalls. You see, you need to work past the season of perfection because perfection can't keep you going in a healthy direction. You, you need to move past, you know, the thought where he's perfect and I'm perfect and we're going to be perfect. You need to move past the, the Instagram stage of your relationship. You know what I'm saying? The Facebook stage where you share stuff on Facebook and then you, you're with the person you're like, that's not how it happened. Like, my kids were not smiling there. How did you do that, Right? Like, you need to move past that stage of, of your relationship. It's like the bachelor, bachelorette. Are we not always shocked, those of us who waste our time watching that garbage? We invest so much time into it, and then we're like, why, why did it work out? They loved each other. Well, listen, they were getting paid to go on dates at places that they're not going to continue to keep going with people watching them. Eventually, nobody is going to care about them. And they're just going to have to be married or engaged and the tabloids are going to stop writing and their dates are going to be to McDonald's, not to, not to some coast off somewhere where no one's ever been before where you ride horseback with no saddles on them, right? In your bikinis. Like that, that's not real life. So he's not following you with music playing in the background. Eventually, you just go on dates, you walk out, you get out of your car, and get some Applebee's, okay, two for 20, okay, what are you going to get? And I don't like that. Two spoons. You cut it in the middle, this is my Applebee's. You come over this half, we're going to have problems. You sign a prenup over that, right? Molten lava cake. You want to share? Can I have a bite of yours? Absolutely not, woman. You could have a bite of mine in the season of perfection, but you can't touch my food no more. Eventually, you're going to get to this point. Now watch what she says in the verse, and I think this is so interesting. In Song of Solomon 2, verse number 11, she says this. She says, see, with an exclamation point. You see, there, there, there's movement happening here, but I want you to see what she says. She says, the winter is past, and the rains are over and gone. We don't know how much time is between verse number 10 and verse number 11, but she's implying something here, and we can't miss this. She's implying that they're about to move to a new direction. We're, we're going to see in, in the next couple of weeks they're moving towards marriage. We're going we're to be a part of their wedding day and their wedding night and all this stuff. And then we're going to kind of walk with them. But what she's saying is there's been some time in between the season of perfection and this season. She, she calls it winter. And I know many of you don't want to think about winter because it's 95 degrees outside. There's not, a, there's not a cloud in the sky, right? And it's winter most of the time here. But winter is a really important word there. Winter is a, is a season to get prepared. It, it's a season of, of preparation. In other words, it's what you do in the winter that determines who you are in the, in the, in the summer. Are you with me? If you want a beach body, you don't start in, in, in the summer like two weeks before, even though most people do. Right? You ever been to Planet Fitness? Everybody's at Planet Fitness like two weeks before the summer. You're like, this ain't going to work. Let's go get pizza. When's that free pizza night, right? If you want to look good in the summer, you got you to get ready in the winter. If you want to have a great marriage, and she's saying, get ready, then you've got to do certain things working up to it. Don't make the entire marriage about the, the ceremony you're about to have. Don't make it about the flowers you're about to hold. Don't make it about the guests that you're going to invite or not invite. Don't, don't make it about the place or the venue or the pastor or whoever's going to marry you. Make it about something more. Because every new season of your life is going to require a new you. 
And so if you're going to go into the new season, which is going to be marriage, that is definitely a new season. Can I get an amen? It's going to require you being a different person. So, so don't go in thinking love is going to fuel us. Infatuation is going to fuel us. Uh, uh, perfect feelings are going to fuel us. Eventually, that fuel is, is going to fade and something deeper is going to have to drive your marriage. And so I want to give you three things that you should do in the season of, of getting prepared for marriage. So if you are in the season, you're engaged, you're about to get married. You think you're going to be engaged soon. You're sending your guy signals. You've been together seven years. You're telling him, finally, you're either getting married or, 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 or we're moving on. Like if you're there, right, here's three things. If you're already married and maybe you didn't do these things, maybe you jot these down. You go, here's some conversations that we need to have. If you're single, just, just write these down and, and pray, God, God, make a way where there seems to be no way, right? And so Season of, of preparation, number one, and you're going to notice these are all farming things because I thought it fit. You should have what I would call a season of, of plowing. I'm not a farmer, if you couldn't tell. But I think this would be the most difficult season. There's, like no, there's nothing there. there there's, 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 no, there's no plant. You're not even putting plant, really. You're getting the soil ready. The soil's been kind of stagnant for a while, and you have a field, and you, you plan on growing plants, and you plan on having a, a harvest and all this stuff, but you have to start before you do that with, with doing the, the monotonous work of turning up the ground. And so what I want to tell you is, is what tends to happen in so many people's lives is, is they forget this part when they're going to get married. They have great dreams for the, for, for the harvest. Yet they don't spend any time in, in the monotonous work of, of, of plowing. In fact, it says this in Scripture, and we're going to use this as a reference uh, to, to kind of be a symbol, but it says in, in Proverbs 20, uh, sluggards do not plow in season. They have, they have an opportunity to plow, but lazy people don't do it. And then what happens is at harvest time, they look, but they find nothing. They, they look, but they, if the harvest is your, is your marriage... Then what happens is people that are going towards marriage, he says sluggers just kind of waste their time. They just kind of say, we're going to be fine. We're in love. Love will make a way where there seems to be no way. We're always going to love one another. We're always going to feel this way about one another. And you don't put any real work into it, assuming that it's not going to take work. And let me just tell you really frankly, to stay married is a massive amount of work. All the married people, am I right? The ones who aren't saying nothing, they're lying. Not you, baby. I love you so much. You're a liar, bro. You've been married for six days, right? I've been married for 15 years. I deeply am committed to my wife, but there has been seasons in our marriage, and she would tell you the exact same thing, that we needed to work. And if I would have got married after I got engaged here at Applebee's, and three months later, we would have we we got married, there was absolutely no plowing going on in that field. There was, there was no preparation. There was no work. The earlier you learn to work, the more, the more likely that your marriage will end up working. I love what they did in the old, the old times this time. Is you would get betrothed, and it was a signal that you were going to get married to the person, kind of like engagement. But then there would always be this season. Many times it would last up to a year where the guy would have to go and, and learn how to work and learn how to be a husband. So what would happen is you would go to the girl and, her dad and your dad would sit down and there would be some exchange of something, right? You know, maybe, a, maybe a cattle, maybe if she was extra special, here's three cattles, right? And, and the dad would say, hey, my, my son wants to marry your daughter and so we're going to exchange this, we're going to sign the papers and we're going, that's so bad, I think it's great. I mean, I, I can't imagine, I think we should do this at Journey Church. 
I'll watch your family, you watch mine, your kids look like they're going to turn out well, my kids hopefully are going to turn out well, it's still up in, up in the air about that, and so and then we sit down, they're like 21, we're like, forget this dating crap, he's marrying her, she's marrying him, you guys have three daughters, I got three sons, let's do this, you live in Phoenixville, all our kids will stay here then, like I, I like somebody like so old fashioned, I think it's great, so they would do this the kind of transaction, and then they were married legally. But they were not allowed to consummate. So you're like, what does that mean? They weren't allowed to be intimate together until the second part of the marriage was fulfilled. So they were married. And so he knew, I am going to marry this woman. She is going to be my wife. But then the dad would bring him back to his house. And he, you know what he didn't say? Hey, you're cool, man. Play some video games. You know, move, just hang out. You know, hang out with your, bu- your bros, your dudes. You know, go take your camels, go cruising and do all this stuff and have this sweet, you know, bachelor party. Make sure you take lots of selfies of what stays in, in Jerusalem. You know, what happens there stays there. Won't tell anybody and all this stuff is going on. That's not what happened at all. He brought his son back and he said, okay, you know who you're marrying. Now get to work. And for a year, he would work. For, for a year, he, he would... He, he, he would uh, uh, build house, uh, get his finances in order, figure out the trait he was going to do. And every day or every couple of days, his dad would come up and go, that's not good enough, son. And he would get back to work and he would build more. And every, that's not good enough, son. That's not good enough, son. That's not, that's not good enough, son. And then one day he would come up to the, to the guy and he would look at it. He would test stuff. It's all square. And he would say, you're ready now. And the son would work and work and work. And when he would say, you're ready, they would get the whole town, the family. They would go. They would have a bridal, a bridal kind of party, playing music. She would hear, you're going to hear this part in the story. She would hear the music coming. Boop, boop, boop. Boop, boop, boop. He would come bounding over, right? Boop, boop, boop. And she would see him, and they would go, he's ready. And they would get married right there. And they would have a week-long celebration where while everybody is waiting, they would consummate their marriage in a room somewhere where everybody waited. They would come out and say, we did it. Super awkward, right? <laughs> Talk about normalizing it. And they would celebrate some more, and then they would celebrate some more, and that's what involved marriage. And it actually was the work in between getting engaged and, and, and getting married that actually made it, made it happen, made it work. So you need to have a season of plowing. Here's two more that you need to have. Number two is this. You need to go through a season of planning. Planning. You need, to, you need to be what you want to see. I, I, if I could teach you a couple of life principles in, in, in this church, this would be one of them. Whatever you want to have in your life, you, you need to become. We, we do it opposite. And so what I found in so many engagements and people that are getting married is what happens is, is, is engaged couples, because of the amount of work that we put into to the wedding, become so self-centered. Like for the next year, it's like, this is all about me because it's my big day coming up. And we're going to get married. And even in church, you have people that are like, yeah, I can't serve for the next six months. Well, why? Because I'm getting married. About six months from now. Yeah, I know. But, but I, this day, I'm, I'm testing out cakes. And this day, we're going to venues. It's always on Sunday, too. It's weird. <laughs> and this day, we're going to Martha's Vineyard. And this day, we're going to Zachariah's Vineyard. And this day, we're going to... And then we got pre-engagement photos and we got all this stuff. And then it's like, it's like they say, what's going to make our marriage work is selfishness. That's what it is, selfishness. And let me tell you something. After you get married and you've built your life on selfishness, guess what happens with, the, with, you, with each of you? You're awful selfish people to one another. You have a hard time picking where you want to eat because each one of you have indulged yourself for the last, what do you mean you won't go here and eat where I want? You let me pick out the cake? 
Well, what, what do you mean? It was all about, look at these pictures. Do you see my pictures from the wedding day? Do you see how people are fawning over me? That's your job now too. Like everything becomes about me. And the problem is, is if you want to see something in your life, you have to first be that. That's what happens in the sowing and reaping. If you go to the Bible in Galatians 6, this is what it says. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. In, in other words, here's your principles of sowing. What you want, what you sow, it always grows, and what you plant always multiplies. What you sow in your life grows, and what you plant, it always multiplies. So, so for me, if I, if I was going to do pre-marriage counseling with a couple, I will say, forget all that other crap. That's not going to keep you married. I, I get it. You want to have a great wedding. You want to remember. I get all that. But if you want to stay married, here's four things you should, really, you should really sow into your marriage. You should plant into your marriage. First is generosity. Before you get married, I know stuff's going to get expensive. I know bills are going to come. But before you ever get married to each other, begin to sow generosity into your life. How do you do that? You begin to put God first in your finances. You return the first 10% back to him, no matter how expensive that cake or those flowers get. You be more faithful with, with your money. You find more people to, to bless and to give to in your marriage. Why? You're planning generosity into your marriage. Let me tell you something. You want to be married to a generous person, right? You want to be married to somebody who's giving. You don't want to be married to a tight butt, do you? Can I get a Coke? No! Worried about money all the time? Worried because they look for money for security? When you're generous with your money, you find security in, in, in Christ. You, you understand that he's in control of your finances, and he's a good God. You sow generosity. You sow a, a mentality of serving. Don't stop serving once you get engaged and once you're close to marriage. Serve more. Why? You're getting prepared to serve one another. If you want to have a great marriage, you're going to have to serve the other person. Learn how to be more compassionate, not less compassionate. What does that mean? Ask God to help you develop eyes for people outside of yourself. See, see the needs of other people. Guess what? Because when you plant that in your life, guess what's going to happen? You're going to see the needs of your spouse. You're, you're going to understand and, and feel for them. When you, men, some, men, sometimes you're going to be married to a woman and you're not going to understand anything she's saying. You're not going to know why she's crying. And there's going to be moments where it's safer for you not to say anything and just show compassion. Because if you say something, they're going to kill you, right? <laughs> and so instead, instead of you saying, I don't know what's wrong with you. I can't figure you out ever. You're crazy. Don't ever say that to your wife. You say, honey, I don't know what's wrong with you, but I feel your pain and I love you. Come here, girl. 409, right? A little joke from last week. Number four is this. We're going to move. Be a learner. Read what God's word says about being a godly husband or wife. Find mentors and ask them lots of good questions. You know, how did you stay married? It, this will produce what I would call a harvest of health. What you sow grows and it always multiplies. So number one, you're going to have a season of plowing, working. Number two, a season of planting. And number three, this one's really important, the last one, a season to prune. One of the greatest mistakes people make in the season of perfection is you overlook all imperfections. And let me just explain something to you. The person you're dating, they're not Jesus. So if you expect them to be Jesus, they're going to let you down. You are not perfect. I know this is going to be a shock to you. You have lots of imperfections. What happens is, though, in this moment, imperfection, you begin to think everything's perfect. And what also happens is you overlook everything else. 
There's clear signals. There's things you should deal with. There's things you should address. There's things you should talk about. There's things that should be brought out into the open. And in this season, because you don't want to wreck it, because you just want to hold on to it, because you want them to be perfect, you ignore it. And here's what happens in marriage. Marriage doesn't change habits, secrets, and struggles, right? It actually magnifies them. Can I, can I say that to you again? Marriage does not change bad habits. Some of you are like, if I just got married, I, would be, I wouldn't be insecure anymore. Guys I met, if I just got married, I wouldn't have a problem with lust. That's not true. Marriage magnifies it. If I just got married, I wouldn't be lonely. Wait till you get in a fight with the person. And because you haven't sown generosity and compassion and selfishness, selflessness, you feel stuck with that person. You don't know what else to do because you haven't developed those things. You want to talk about being lonely? You're too embarrassed to talk to your parents about it or your friends because you're ashamed that your marriage is falling apart. And some of you say, when I get married, I'll stop feeling lonely. That, that's not what's going to happen. Marriage magnifies, magnifies things. So here's what you do in marriage. is you begin, before you get married, to open yourself up to the other person. In fact, this is what it says in Scripture, Proverbs 20. It says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. Whoever, whoever covers them up does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Here's why. Secrecy is the killer of intimacy. Secrecy in your life is the killer of intimacy. So you're going to prune. You're going to cut things out of, of your life. You're going to have really difficult conversations with that person. You're going to open up about your history. You're going to talk about your past things you've done with other people maybe not in all the details but hey here's my past here's what I've been man if you're struggling with lust and pornography you're gonna open yourself up to that somebody saying if I do they're not gonna date me listen if you keep it hidden you'll be divorced anyway so I'm gonna open myself up because here's what you need to understand about marriage marriage is your 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 commitment to the other person to make my issues our issues in other words, make my fight our fight. Listen, if you don't talk and you're secretive, you're not a fighter. If you wait till you get caught, you're not a fighter. But if you open yourself and you say, here's the things I need, to, I need to talk to you about. Me and my wife went through this before we got married. It was, it was so liberating. Talked about different issues we had. Talked about situations we experienced as, as children. Talked about things that were going to be our issues together. And we decided together, we're going to fight we're going to fight. But you first got to have those, those conversations. You're going to confess it all to one another. You're going to own it all. You're going to pray together. You're going to get accountability and you're going to move forward. And here's why. Because hidden, they'll tear you apart. But confessed, they have the power to bring you together. They have the power to, to unite you. Two fighters committed to one another, they're unstoppable. Can I tell you that again? Two fighters committed to one another in marriage have an unstoppable marriage. There is nothing that will come into your way. No sickness, no financial situation. There is nothing that can tear fighters apart. But, but listen, who you are in the next season is totally dependent to who you're becoming in this season. Would you stand up with me all over this house? I want to close with this verse in Song of Solomon 2, verse 12. Watch what she says. Winter has passed, and watch what she says. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in a land. She said, we move through the season of perfection. 
we moved through the season of preparation and now it's time for the springtime now we're seeing the fruit of our harvest the fig tree forms its early fruit the blossoming vines spread their fragrance arise come my darling my beautiful one come with me she says we're ready to go into the next season because we've been smart about this season find somebody who's a worker Find somebody who will work her in their, in their faith, in their commitment to you. Find somebody who's going to plant good things into their lives. Find somebody who's willing to prune, to cut things out, to have difficult conversations. If your marriage is failing, it's because you're not a fighter. Because two fighters together, they're unstoppable. They're unstoppable. Would you buy